Welcome to our Easter service. Wasn't it wonderful having that music this morning? And wherever you are today, I want you to know that Jesus Christ is risen. Now, of course, we as Christians, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ every Sunday. That's why we meet on Sunday, because that's the day of the week that Jesus Christ rose from the dead. But the entire Christian world sets this day apart as a special celebration of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I got this from our friend Jeff Faggart. He said, breaking news from Jerusalem, AD 33. Many infallible witnesses this morning are testifying about a man risen from the dead who is defying the government's stay in order. Our sources tell us that the local authorities vainly watched his bed, vainly sealed the dead, but up from the grave he arose. I'm so glad Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And this morning we're going to be looking at that, and I'm glad that you're here with us. Open your Bible with me to the book of John, John chapter 14 and John chapter 11. John chapter 14 and John chapter 11. Let's read John 14 and verse 19. Jesus speaking said, Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. Because I live, ye shall live also. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your resurrection, the resurrection of your Son. Lord, thank you for raising Him from the dead. Lord, thank you that in the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, that, that all of that is represented in the person of Jesus Christ, for in Him dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And that body, the Apostle John said, that which we have seen, that which we have held with our hands. Lord, thank you that you came. Thank you that you took on flesh and bones so that you could die on the cross. And Lord, thank you for not staying in that grave, but rising from the dead. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's look at this verse again, John 14 and verse 19. Yet a little while, and the world seeth me no more, but ye see me. Because I live, ye shall live also. It's wonderful that we have a living faith. We, the, there are people all over the world that go to a shrine or they go to a grave and they pray at that grave for this person. And I can tell you this, the grave of Jesus Christ, one that has been identified, I was able to visit it a few years ago, and I can attest, it's empty. Jesus Christ is not there. He is risen. He is risen from the dead. And that's the foundation of our faith. That's our hope. That's our life. The Bible in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 19 says it this way, if in this life only we have hope in Christ, we are of all men most miserable. Verse 16 says, For if the dead rise not, then is Christ not raised. But here's the good news. The dead do rise. And Jesus Christ demonstrated that. It's happened several times in Scripture. You know, there are several different resurrections in Scripture. Jesus Christ raised Lazarus. Go with me to John chapter 11. Lazarus was Jesus Christ's friend. And he died. And Jesus Christ was very sorrowful because of the sorrow that, uh, that Lazarus' family was experiencing. And look at what it says in verse, uh, in verse 25, or verse 24. Martha said unto him, I know that he shall rise again in the resurrection at the last day. So what she's saying is, I know what this religion, what this faith 
that you are teaching, I know what it says. I know that, that eventually He's going to rise. And all of us who have loved ones who have gone home to be with the Lord, we know that they will rise. We know that that will happen. But notice what it says in verse uh, 25. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Here's a great question. Look at what he says. Believest thou this? Believest thou this? So my question to you today is, do you believe this message? Listen again what Jesus said. Jesus said unto her, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? That's my question for you today. Do you believe in the resurrection? You know, there are many people who don't believe in the resurrection. Several years ago, we looked at some information by a New Testament scholar named Gary Habermas, and he's done an amazing job. And he's put together a list of statements that are accepted facts, accepted facts about the resurrection. And these are facts that are accepted by the majority of New Testament scholars. And by the majority, so let me just give you a fake number. Let's say there are a thousand New Testament scholars. 995 of these New Testament scholars would agree with these facts. Those who don't agree with these facts are just far away skeptics who refuse the, the information that is available to them. So these are facts that can be accepted without faith. These are simple facts. They are undisputed facts. Now, you say, when I say undisputed, I mean undisputed by anyone who knows anything. All right, there are people who don't believe that we're really here. They believe that we're just in the matrix somehow and that we're just some kind of, of digital representation of, of someone else's idea. Well, whatever. There's nothing we can do with those people. The important thing is that these are facts about Jesus Christ and his resurrection that saved scholars, lost scholars, Christian scholars, atheist scholars, agnostic scholars, they all agree on these facts. The first is that Jesus Christ died by crucifixion. That Jesus died by crucifixion. You know, there are people who don't even believe that Jesus existed. But there are no legitimate scholars who believe that. Jesus Christ did live. And His life and death changed the world. This book, it's the Annals of Tacitus. Tacitus was really one of the most significant Roman historians and he lived around 100 A.D. And he wrote this. He's talking about Nero and the fire in Rome. And he said, Nero fastened the guilt and inflicted the most exquisite tortures on a class, of, on a class hated for their abominations called Christians to the populace. Christus, from whom the name had its origin, suffered the extreme penalty, that would be crucifixion, suffered the extreme penalty during the reign of Tiberius at the hands of one of our procurators, Pontius Pilate, and a most mischievous superstition thus checked for the moment again broke out, not only in Judea, the first source of the evil, but even in Rome, where all things hideous and shameful from every part of the world find their center and became popular. Accordingly, an arrest was first made of all who pleaded guilty. Then upon their information, an immense multitude was convicted not so much of the crime of firing the city as of hatred against mankind. Mockery of every sort was added to their deaths, 
covered with the skins of beasts. They were torn by dogs and perished or were nailed to crosses or were doomed to the flames and burnt to serve as a nightly illumination when daylight had expired. It's important for you to understand that that statement was made. This this testimony of Tacitus, the Roman historian, was made within 50 years of the death of Jesus Christ and definitely within the time of the writings of the New Testament. See, this is an extra-biblical proof that Jesus Christ died by crucifixion. And when you start putting these pieces of information together, these are undisputed facts. Jesus died by crucifixion. And then Jesus' disciples believed that he rose from the dead and appeared to them. Jesus' disciples believed that Jesus had arisen from the dead and appeared to them. Now, in the 1800s, 17 and 1800s, with the rise of German liberalism, there was there were some attempts to disprove the, the death of Christ. Not his resurrection, but his death. So there was one that was called the swoon theory, that Jesus Christ didn't really die, that he was just swooning, that, that he had passed out. There's no one who believes that anymore. There are others that there was some kind of psychological delusion that fell on his disciples. Well, there's no such thing as a psychological delusion that falls on 500 separate people, as the Apostle Paul attested to in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All of, There are no legitimate New Testament scholars. I'm talking not talking about saved people. I'm not talking about people who actually believe in his resurrection, but there are no legitimate New Testament scholars, relatively, who believe that any of those humanistic theories about what happened to Jesus on the cross. There's really only one thing that happened. He died. He died. When he was on that cross, and there have been tests done where people are tied to a cross, and this this test was just done recently in Europe where some men volunteered to see what happens to people when they're on a cross, now, thank goodness they were not nailed to that cross, but they were tied to it. They passed out within 12 minutes. Unless they had, they were able to push up on their feet, they passed out within 12 minutes. They had to be able to push up on their feet. And the, the average, I guess some people could live in that state nailed to a cross for up to 22 hours. We know that Jesus Christ was on the cross for probably around six hours. And when they came to check on him, they believed that he was dead. Why? Because he was no longer pushing up. And after 12 minutes, and these men who were doing these crucifixions, they were doing many, many crucifixions. They knew how people died. And so when Jesus Christ could no longer push up, they assumed that he was dead. So rather than breaking his legs, remember that breaking the legs or breaking the ankles, that was a a merciful, can you imagine that? That was a mercy so that the people could no longer push up and they would die. When they got to Jesus, they saw that he was already dead. But just to make sure, they pierced his side. They took a spear and thrust it into his side, and out of that hole that was opened up in his side came blood and water. And when blood and water comes out, that means that that pericardium, that sac that's around the heart that, that protects it and it's filled with fluid is burst, and there's no way to be alive when that happens. Jesus was dead. Jesus was dead. And his disciples believed not only that he had died, but that he had risen from the dead. Now, the fact that his disciples believed that he had risen from the dead, that doesn't prove that he had. But it sure is good evidence. Now, here's an argument that people make. They say, well, people have died for lots of lies. Now, of course, remember, his disciples were willing to die. But people die for lies all the time. The, the Muslims that flew the airplanes into the World Trade Center, they died for Muslim. They died for Islam. 
They, they died believing something. Now, obviously what they believed was wrong, but they sincerely believed it. And their, their sincere belief and being willing to testify to that belief by, by their own death and the murder of, you know, 3,000 Americans, that death does not prove that Islam is true. And so that's an argument that people would say to us about the disciples. But here's the problem. They are believing, those, those who flew the airplanes into the World Trade Center, they were believing that Islam is true. The disciples knew Jesus Christ. Remember, we, we quoted it when I prayed a minute ago. That which we have seen, that which we have handled with our hands of the, of the word of life. They knew Jesus Christ. They lived with him. They knew him. They saw him die, and their faith was crushed. They were hiding, <clears throat> and, and they didn't believe even after he rose from the dead. They saw the empty tomb, and the Bible says in John chapter 20, for they knew not yet the scripture that he must rise from the dead. They didn't believe in his resurrection until they saw him. And let me tell you something. There are people who would say, well, maybe he didn't really die. Maybe when they took him off the cross, he revived from the dead. Well, imagine that. They find Jesus, or Jesus somehow stumbles to them with his pierced feet and his pierced hands and his pierced side, and the, the horrible beating where basically there was no skin left on his body, and he somehow stumbles to them into that upper room. Would they say he's risen from the dead, or would they take him to a doctor and somehow try to patch up his wounds and stop the bleeding? Folks, that's not a resurrection. They knew what death is. That especially in that time of life, everyone was very familiar with death because there was death all around them. They knew that Jesus Christ had died and they specifically believed that he had risen from the dead. And so the skeptic would say, well, what if they were lying? What if they were lying about that? Why would they die for a lie? Why would they die for something that they knew to be a lie? Folks, that is just unreasonable. And it is not only they, but the other 500 witnesses. It's vital that we understand that. So, accepted facts by historians saved and lost are that Jesus died by crucifixion and that Jesus' disciples believed that he rose and appeared to them. Um, next, the church persecutor, Saul, was suddenly changed. Now, again, there is no dispute among scholars that Paul lived. There's no dispute among scholars that Paul wrote at least some of his epistles, and there's no dispute that he wrote 1 Corinthians and 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So when the Apostle Paul is writing 1 Corinthians chapter 15, he says, turn to it with me, if you will. 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Verse 1, moreover, brethren, I declare unto you the gospel which I preached unto you. Now look at what it says. Which also ye have received, and wherein ye stand. By which also ye are saved, if ye keep in memory what I preached unto you, unless ye have believed in vain. For I delivered unto you, look at what it says. Verse 3, for I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. That which I also received. Paul did not invent this. What he's writing here? Paul didn't invent it. And yes, we as believers know that the Holy Spirit of God inspired this. We know that he inspired it. We, we are absolutely sure of the, the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. But those of you who are not sure of that, 
What you need to understand is, yes, the Holy Spirit inspired Paul to write this. We believe that. But he got it from somebody else. He had heard this before. And New Testament scholars believe that Jesus died somewhere around 30 A.D., but that Paul received this message somewhere around 35 A.D., within five years of the event. So when Paul starts talking about this, all of the people who were alive were around. All the people who had seen Jesus and had seen his death and had seen his resurrection, they could have called him out and said he's a liar. They didn't do it. They didn't do it. Why? Because this enemy of God, this I'm sorry, this enemy of Jesus Christ and this enemy of Christianity now believed, somehow believed that Jesus Christ had risen. Why? Because Jesus appeared to him on the road to Damascus. So the church persecuted Paul was suddenly changed. And then how about this? James, the brother of Jesus, didn't believe in Jesus. He was a skeptic. But then he was willing to die. He was willing to be beheaded. Why? Because he had seen the risen Savior. Can you imagine the Savior being your brother? What an amazing thing. And Peter believed that and testified to it. And then the greatest proof is that the tomb was empty. The tomb was empty. I think it was Gary Habermas that uh, I watched a video of him saying this. So if, let's say there was a great religious leader who lived here in Sydney, and um, he died. He died. But then these news reports came out that people had seen him, that, that he had risen from the dead and his grave was empty. And I knew that Graceland Cemetery is just right down the road. Well, if I had heard that it happened in California, I might not do anything. If I had heard that it happened in France or in Syria or somewhere else, I might not go and see it. But if it was right here in Sydney, and I knew a couple miles from here, there's a there, there was a man buried, he was a religious leader that said he was going to rise from the dead, I would go and check it out, and I know that you would too. These people in Judea, these people in Galilee, these people in Jerusalem, they knew that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. They heard it. They went and checked it out. And that's why this amazing explosion of Christianity happened. So there are people who dispute the resurrection of Christ. There are people who dispute the, the, the supernatural aspect of it. But there is no dispute that Jesus Christ died by crucifixion. His disciples believed that Jesus Christ had died. His disciples believed that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. His disciples preached that and were willing to die for it. The Apostle Paul saw him later and was willing to die and did die for the message of the risen Savior. And then, of course, the greatest proof of all, the empty tomb. The empty tomb. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. In the year 250, and I've seen two different dates, 249 or 250. In Ethiopia, there was a, and it began on Easter, 250 AD. There was a horrible plague that started, and it's called the Cyprian Plague. It's called Cyprian, the Cyprian Plague, based on the Bishop of Carthage named Cyprian, Cyprian of Carthage. And the plague spread from Ethiopia, it spread into Rome, into Greece, into Syria, and at the height of this plague, and this plague lasted for somewhere between 12 and 20 years. Think about that. A 20-year plague. At one point in Rome, 5,000 people were dying a day. 5,000 people were dying a day. And the reason it's called Cyprian's Plague is because he wrote, uh, he wrote about it. He preached a sermon on it and he wrote about it. And I think it's called On Mortality. And he described the symptoms of this plague. And it was terrible. People are bleeding from their eyes. Their, their throat is constricting and they describe it. And, you know, today we don't really know what it was, but they think it might have been something like hemorrhagic fever, fever or Ebola. Horrible. 
And it's interesting that the Christian church at that point, 250 A.D., it expanded and it also contracted. Why did it contract? Because it was the Christians who were willing to help the people in Rome. It was the Christians that were able to help the people all over the kingdom. And what did they do? They ministered to them, and they even were willing to care for the dead and bury the dead. And what happened? They succumbed to the plague. They succumbed to the, to the disease. Many, many, many of these early Christians died. But because of their love, because of how they lived during that plague, many people were drawn to Christianity during this time. And we need to remember that this is following very closely on the heels of the Diocletian persecution. And that for 10 years, Diocletian, he, he murdered, he hunted down, he killed these Christians, he burned their Bibles. It was a horrible thing. Even pastors, they would give up the scriptures and have them burned. And if they're willing to have their copy of the scriptures burned, they were willing, they, they were allowed to live. And the church called them traitors. That's where we get the word traitor because they denied the faith. And those were the people, the Donatists were pushing against it during that Donatist controversy. But these Christians were willing to die for the faith during this plague. But not only were they willing to die for the faith, they were willing to live for others during that plague. I wonder if after this plague, I wonder if after this coronavirus, and man, I hope we get back together soon, but I hope that following this, that the testimony that people have, the witness that they have had from us, is that we were willing to help people during this time. We were willing to represent the risen, the resurrected Christ during this time. So here's my question to you. Are you saved? Do you, let's go back to first, I'm sorry, to John chapter 11. John chapter 11. Jesus said unto her, verse 25, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. And whosoever liveth and believeth in me shall never die. Believest thou this? She said unto him, she saith unto him, Yea, Lord, I believe that thou art the Christ, the Son of God, which should come into the world. The Christ, the Son of God that came into the world, he came into the world and took on flesh and bones like you and I have, so that those hands could be nailed to the cross, those feet could be nailed to the cross, so that he could be buried and that he could rise again the third day. Do you believe that? I hope that you do. I want you to know that the Christian faith is not as hard to believe as some people think it is. The facts of the Christian faith are there. They're historical facts that can be proven. The fact that Jesus Christ rose from the dead is one of the most, it is one of the best attested to events in the ancient world. Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And here's the good news, he's coming back. He's coming back. Right now, he's seated at the right hand making intercession for you. You know, I'm so thankful that while we are apart from each other and we're just connected through electronics, I'm thankful that you don't need me to give you a wafer so that you can go to heaven. I'm thankful that you don't need me to forgive your sins so that you can go to heaven. I'm thankful that the Bible says there's one God and one mediator between God and man. God and men. The man, Christ Jesus. He rose from the dead bodily, rose from the dead, and he's seated at the right hand of the Father making intercession. And if I go to him, if I go to Jesus Christ in faith, I don't have to go through any man. I go through Jesus. And Jesus said, come boldly to the throne of grace. You can come boldly to the throne of grace today. I'm glad that you don't need me to forgive your sins. 
I'm glad that Jesus Christ can forgive all of our sins, yours and mine, and I hope that you will trust in him. What a wonderful Savior we have, and I love to proclaim, he is risen. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, I'm so thankful that you have given us your word and we can trust it. But Lord, it's also wonderful that there's all of this extra biblical evidence that Jesus Christ came and that he died by crucifixion on the cross and that he was buried in a borrowed tomb and then, that even then, people saw him and believed that he had risen from the dead. And because he lives, we can live also. Lord, thank you so much for all that you've done and all that you're doing. Lord Jesus, we love you and we're thankful. Lord, right now, I pray that if there's someone who has not asked you to save them, that today will be the day of their salvation. Lord, if someone's watching this live now, or they're watching it later, or maybe years from now on the internet, that today will be their day of salvation. Lord, I pray that you will knock on hearts, doors right now, and that people will let you in. Lord, I pray that they'll ask you to save them, understanding they're sinners and deserve hell, and that you're God, you died on the cross and rose from the dead, proving that you are, were, and always will be God. And if they'll believe that, that you'll save them. You'll take them to heaven, and you'll give them joy here on earth in this life. Lord, thank you for your resurrection and the hope that it gives us all. In Jesus' name, amen. I'm so glad I got to preach that, and I'm so glad that you were here with us today. Don't forget to give online and take care of the needs of the church. I want to read you something that Noah joins, who is singing for us. He left this on the pulpit for me. He said, heads up, I could have coronavirus. So I licked every part of this pulpit. Happy Easter, Noah joins. Then he said, P.S., I don't have coronavirus. Now, I'm not sure. He he said that he doesn't have coronavirus, but he didn't say he didn't actually lick this pulpit. So let me just tell you, Noah, that's nasty. Hey, it's so good to see you all. I can't wait to gather together with you. I hope you enjoy your family. I hope you enjoy the, the people that God has brought into your life. Stay safe, trust the Lord, and let's be sure to reach out to people and let them know that we as a church are here to help them. Thank you, everybody. Have a great Easter.